Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. And today we have got a show for you from the folks at Howl for Wildlife. Howl for Wildlife is a new organization. And while they might be new, boy, are they making a splash. Uh, I've been seeing them everywhere. And I've been very impressed with the work they do and how they do it. So much so that I asked them on the show today. We are going to talk about uh, the inception of how we're going to talk about how they they do the work they do why they do the work they do we're going to talk about why hunting is is good for wildlife we'll be talking about the north american model of wildlife conservation we're going to talk about threats to these systems threats to this lifestyle that we all love and value so much we're going to talk about the kinds of people that these threats are coming from and you know if you're a hunter please stick around and and pick up some tricks some tactics you know a mindset of how to approach these issues and if you're not a hunter and even if you're adamantly against hunting please stick around because these these fellas are thoughtful um and they're science-based and you know you never know you might have your mind changed about some things so please stick around listen to the show it's a good one but before we get into that let's do our announcements let's see this first one is the hunter angler working group the hog and uh, mind you this announcement is only for those folks representative of organizations interested in r3 that's recruitment retention and reactivation so and let's see and uh, forgive me that's recruitment retention reactivation of hunters which is very important because without hunters we don't have hunting without hunting we don't have advocacy for wildlife and wild places on the level that we have it now so This is a two-day meeting at the Nordic Village in Flagstaff. It's July 23rd and 24th. And I've had a great time every time I've attended this. Uh, We will have a campfire Saturday night. I will be there at least Saturday night and Sunday uh, representing Arizona backcountry hunters and anglers. Uh, My colleague, Trika, from here at the Arizona Wildlife Federation will be there for our organization. And it's just a good time. It's, It's basically a mingling of who's who in conservation in Arizona. Everybody's there. Everybody has a good time. There's a lot to learn. So please be there if you are a representative of an organization interested in R3. We'd love to see you there. Let's see. Next up, the Arizona Elk Society is holding an elk clinic um, and they're looking for volunteers to help out with many aspects. This is July 30th, 2022. One of the biggest elk clinics of the year. Let's see, after a hiatus, the Elk Society is excited to bring back their annual elk clinic. They're expecting a large crowd this year and are going to have many vendors set up in the event, and they're going to need your help. They're going to need volunteers to set up and run the Elk Society store, uh, raffle booth, membership booth, serve lunch, and clean up. Please comment if you are a volunteer at at a previous clinic and let us know what you did. Uh, This is going to help them with planning. Uh, let's see. Food's going to be provided by the Elk Society. Location is El Zariba, Z-A-R-I-B-A-H, Auditorium. That's at 552 North 40th Street in Phoenix, Arizona, 85008. Again, July 30th, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. Exact information will be sent to volunteers. So please reach out to loganf at arizonaelksociety.org with any questions you've got. Next up. And I don't have a lot of information on this because we're still working on it. So I will follow up or you can reach out to me at podcast at azylife.org with questions and details. 
This is the Arizona Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is holding a wild mushroom hunt and pint night in Flagstaff, Arizona on August 13th. We did this last year, it was a great time. Uh, we'll primarily, primarily be looking for lobster mushrooms and bolites, both delicious mushrooms. And then we're gonna go have some beers afterwards. So please join us for that, it is a good time. Again, I'll have some more details on that soon. Then the Arizona Antelope Foundation is doing a fence removal project. This is in Williams, US 89. Let's see, we will be working approximately two miles south of Ash Fork, removing uh, Arizona Department of Transportation right-of-way fence adjacent to US 89. The project location is between milepost 358.4 and 362. Let's see, the project begins Sunday, August 6, uh, 2022. Please be at camp by 8 a.m. This is a one-day project for all attendees. Project activity, uh, let's see, we will be removing approximately three miles of US 89 right-of-way fence. Uh, pronghorn benefits. This fence project includes two areas where existing row fence has been pulled back from US 89 on both sides of the roadway. Pronghorn GPS data has identified US 89 as a barrier to pronghorn movement and studies of showing that pulling back the row fence uh, may reestablish this pronghorn migration corridor. Let's see what to bring. Gloves, uh, they're gonna have a limited supply there. Sunscreen, snacks, water, personal gear, and an orange safety vest, if you have one. Otherwise, one will be provided. Meals, please provide your own lunch to eat in the field on Saturday. Uh, the Arizona Antelope Foundation will provide dinner for all volunteers on Friday and Saturday nights. Continental breakfast on Saturday and Sunday mornings. Contact, please register online by Monday, August 1st, so we can plan to have enough food and tools for everyone. You may also RSVP to info at azantelope.org or call 480-702-1045. Okay, then from the Valley of the Sun Quail Forever, they are holding a pint night, uh, just a casual gathering with no formal agenda. Uh, you buy whatever drinks you want, and I will throw in some appetizers. Let's just spend some time together talking about birds, dogs, shotguns, hunting experiences, and have some fun. That is from Stephen Robbins, the host. Let's see. This is going to be... It starts at 6 p.m. on July 20th. That's a Wednesday. At the Sandbar Mexican Grill. Desert Ridge, 21001 North Tatum Boulevard, Phoenix, Arizona, 85. 050. That's for everybody. Get out there. Get to know these fellas. I know them. It's a bunch of good guys. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. So go have a beer with them. Let's see. Then. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, this is one I'm interested in for sure. Because I have one more leg of it to finish. Hopefully this year. And that's the Arizona Small Game Challenge. Uh, the registration is opening up for the 2022-2023 hunting season. And that's going to be Monday, August 1st. So I will provide a link in the show notes. Uh, this is a great time. It gives you four challenges over four different years. Um, I talk all about it in the small game hunting podcast. We did a while back. I wish I had that number for you, but look back and you will find it. And that's with Larissa Harding, Arizona Game and Fish small game manager. And uh, it's a good one. Uh, we talk about this and that. We'll give you all the details there. It's a great time. I have one more to do, um, and uh, I hoped hope to knock it out this year. It's proved to be more challenging than uh, 
than I'd like to admit. If anybody out there has got good information on Chucker in Arizona, please don't hesitate to reach out. I would love to hear from you. All right. With that, enjoy the show and I will talk with you afterwards. All right, welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. I am sitting here today with Charles Whitlam and John Stallone of Howl. Uh, before we before we get into who you guys are, can you tell me what Howl stands for? Like as an acronym? Yeah, it's is not an acronym. <laughs> it's just it it's uh it's it's Howl for Wildlife. It might have. I, I figured that had to be an acronym. Well, well, it kind of started off as. Yeah, well, but I was okay. thinking of different words, and I was like, "Ooh, that kind of spells howl." Um, and then it just went to howl. But it was like <laughs> hunters and outdoorsmen for wildlife or something like that. But I was trying to figure out. I'm like, "Well, wildlife's one word." Okay. And I was like, "Howl," and then I started thinking. I wanted it to kind of be not straight away when you think about how for wildlife that this is mm -hmm. a pro hunting organization because a lot of groups that come up with these names and they sort of co-opt this idea that they are protecting wolves or they're protecting animals and whatnot and mm -hmm. i'm like no that's actually what i think hunters do but we always have words like you know, I mean, in our names, you know, we're hunting or something. Whatever. So it's very direct yeah. and, and blah, 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 blah. And, and I thought it was a unique approach to to just use something that would throw people off. And Howl for Wildlife has definitely thrown people off, especially when right. we, like the first month when we started. World, <laughs> yeah. yeah, mostly in the a hunting lot, world. A lot, of, a lot of people thought we were a green decoy at first. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's still plenty. But... Yeah, probably some might still do, but I don't, I don't yeah. think too much anymore. But yeah. we've actually... <laughs> inadvertently had i guess what you'd consider anti-hunters take action and this is sort of to our point people don't pay attention no. <laughs> and they'll see something no, they that's don't. like howl for wildlife and we'll write things up that says you know save save the bear or whatever else because i really generally think that's what we're doing and that's all people see as a headline and they'll go out and fill out any form you want. And I'm like, right. We obviously didn't read anything past the headline and it's all, it's kind of a fun, well, it's a fun thing to, to play with. I mean, it's not, I'm not doing that on purpose, but that's just what happens. Right. Right. Yeah. Sure. We actually noticed that before we were even howl for wildlife, when we were doing grassroots stuff with one of our very first successful actions and it, Really, it goes to the origin story of how how we came how, but um, we had a bunch of people take that were anti-hunting or not necessarily anti-hunting, but um, non-hunting take action and sign a petition that we had did on change.org that were like, I think that had a lot to do with what Charles's uh, vision was when when Hal was became Hal, because we originally had came up with the idea of, well, actually Charles came up with the idea to do like a, something like a JSOC for for the hunting community, you know, mm -hmm. you know, having a a joint 
one place hub for for all organizations to be able to you know talk with each other and so on and so forth but you know there's a lot to it <laughs> awesome. a, lot, a lot of uh, a lot of things went back and forth before it became how it became how yeah it was j it was jsoc speaking of acronyms so there's no acronym for how um yeah. and but it was jsoc no, not JSOC, Jayhawk. Jayhawk. Um, Joint Hunters Operations Command or something. That was based on yeah. Joint Special Operations Command and basically the reason for JSOC and the why they came about was was to bring all the intelligence communities together from all of the service branches and all of the um, you know, the governmental um, intelligence agencies is bring them under JSOC so they can share information and be way more effective and efficient in getting things done. And that was the problem that we saw in the hunting community from the industry to the to hunters was there was no real unification and there's all these different groups out there and all the contents out there, all the smart people are out there, but everyone's going in different directions. And the purpose right. of Howl was to, um, at least for for our purposes with getting people involved at a certain level that we get them involved is to bring all that into one and streamline that process. Gotcha. Well, but I'll no tell you, acronym. Ac acronym or not, <laughs> um, I love the name. And, you know, for, for me, a huge pet peeve of mine is is this division between consumptive and non-consumptive groups. Um, you know, when it comes down to it, we all want you know, 99% of the same thing, which is healthy habitat, uh, you know, and, and abundant wildlife populations. So I, I like, you know, a, a lot, I guess I should say, a lot of the non-consumptive community views hunting as is, is very much anti-predator. And I think the majority of the hunting community want healthy ecosystems with that predatory component in it. So I, I like the way the the name Hal kind of kind of bridges that gap a bit, whether it's intended to or not. Well, ultimately, we'd love those people to 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 be involved with us. I mean, yeah. Just like you said, we we really actually do love wildlife. Um I would say I want to say more. I don't know if that's true. But um there is a lot of misinformation and misconceptions and about what hunters are and the need, the necessity for for hunters. Um honestly, our end goal, I think John agrees with this. I actually don't want any more hunters at all. <laughs> There's more hunters. I want more people to um, see the necessity of hunting and the role that it plays in um, healthy populations of wildlife. So if you are mm -hmm. interested in seeing healthy pop populations of wildlife, you should be in support of hunting because it plays a direct role in that. So that's actually the, I think the larger goal is the non-hunting public getting a larger percentage of them on the side of hunting, not actually to become hunters. If they want right, to become right. hunters, that's fine. Right. Yeah, but, of course. But yeah, exactly. And I think one of the messages that we're trying to get across is that the anti-hunting um, mentality or that viewpoint is actually very anti-wildlife because you're not looking at something holistically you're not looking at the big picture um 
and you, you come across this whole idea of preservation and conservation. Um, and we want people to understand that, um, a lot of these initiatives that are out there, like for instance, you were talking about the large predators. If that those groups that are supporting, let's say, a banning a mountain lion hunt, um, if they succeed, they're actually succeeding in hurting wildlife. Not, you know, they might save some lions, but now the deer herd is affected, and then it just becomes a cycle of plummeting and then spiking and plummeting and spiking and then there's just not a healthy ecosystem there and that's that's what our our main goal is to have a very uh well-rounded uh well-managed ecosystem of of Mm -hmm. checks and balances with you know with for us obviously consumption being part of it um but you know, it's not, it's not like, Hey, let's preserve this. I mean, you, you see, we see it all the time. Like for instance, here in Arizona in unit seven, uh, and we're going to take wild, we're going to take animals out of the picture, um, in, in a, in a way, a group came in and wanted to preserve, um, the Aspen trees. So we killed off a lot of elk to preserve the Aspen trees instead of coming up with a program that was more holistic and preserving Aspen trees and preserving the wildlife that was there. It's just, instead of, if you get my drift, we're not looking at just uh, taking care of one thing or, or addressing the symptom. We're looking at the whole picture and wanting healthiness all the way around. Great. Well, I'll tell you what th- th- these are these these are topics that we can certainly get uh, very deep into, and, and I want to. But let's let's step back a little bit um, to the beginning, and let's uh, let's do some intros. Uh, so, John, let's let's start with you. You're an Arizona native here. I know you got your own podcast. Could you tell us just a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm actually not a native of Arizona, but I've been living here for 31 years. I moved here in 1991 originally from New York. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess the accent. I, yeah. I, that probably should have given it away. Right, <laughs> Phoenix accent. I That's missed the mark. Sorry about that. I just uh, know you're from Arizona. <laughs> well, I've, I've lived here a lot longer than I lived in, in New York, but um, yeah, I grew up um, in hunting and uh, my family were all hunters and uh, I had the opportunity to actually take my first deer at like five years old with my dad. Uh, and I've kind of been ate up with it ever since, uh, got into bow hunting in, uh, probably like around the age of 13 and, uh, fell in love with that, fell in love with archery. Uh, over the years I've, since early two thousands, I've been in the industry of being paid to, to hunt or to create content or, um, of some sort over another. I've written books, written articles for many magazines, had a TV show for a very long time. Uh, you mentioned my podcast. I've had that podcast now. It's going to go in 15 years. Um, so, yeah, I've been around. I'm an outfitter and uh, dad. I have three kids, husband. Wear a lot of hats. <laughs> awesome. So It's all good stuff. 
Charles? But John is the vice president of Hall for Wildlife also. Oh, yeah. And, sorry. I yeah. am the vice president of Hall for Wildlife. Um, one of my, <laughs> um, my name's Charles Whitman. I grew up in Michigan. I lived there for 20, early, I don't know, 21, 22, 23, or something like that. I eventually found my way to California um, through guiding, but like backpacking and rock climbing and that, that type of work is, um, so I had an opportunity to go to California because of that, ended up staying here. I've been a hunter, you know, I grew up in Michigan, so I don't think you can grow up in Michigan at the year that I was uh, born. That's, and that's not, what I say about and, Missouri too. Yeah, and not yeah. be a hunter. So, um, my dad was really into, uh, bow hunting and, um, but all types of hunting. But so, yeah, I got into bow hunting very early as well. And actually that, I think that's my first whitetail buck right there on the wall. Back no, there. nice. So I, uh, yeah, I've been, been hunting all my life. I, I'm a business owner out here in California. Um, I am a father to a 16 year old, uh, who just turned 16, which is crazy. And, and a husband as well. And, uh, I'm the president of Hall for Wildlife and, um, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Thanks, Charles. I tell you what, I, I know we've, I guess I'll, I'll start by saying the, the reason I wanted you fellas here is because here in Arizona, we recently had um, some new regulations and bans proposed for black bear and lion hunting here in Arizona. Um, they were proposed to the commission. And I attended a meeting you gentlemen hosted before that commission meeting, and uh, I was I was very much impressed. Um, that coupled with the fact that I'm hearing about you guys all over the place now, so you guys are really making a splash. So I, I realized that you know we we already kind of got into uh, some some of what how is, but could you guys give me a just kind of a a, a billboard style. Um, description of, of who Hal is and, uh, you know, a mission, maybe? I'll let Charles take that. He's uh, he's very well spoken on that. So I, I ramble. Um, <laughs> uh, what, I'll show him. What, what Hal for Wildlife is, um, it's a, a, a platform, if you will, that enters the lane of uh, of effectively and efficiently getting sportsmen and women involved in a multitude of, of, of areas, but all centered around sort of legislation that's a, that's proposed that's going to be either pro hunting or anti hunting. So how do mm -hmm. we get the 60 to 80 million sportsmen that's in the United States? Um, how do we give them an easy way to get involved? So we've developed tools for that to get you involved with your, committee, um, your, your local committees with your local representatives, with your national representatives, but taking all of the, the, the barriers or the roadblocks that we've faced before, just the, even if it takes 20 minutes to figure out who those people are, we've done all that work for you. So when you use our tools, you can, you can know and be assured that you are reaching the right people for where this issue is at currently and that moves so we just we do all mm -hmm. that for you and we provide the the information and the content um that helps you 
it assists you with with what messages to send to your legislator. So, um, streamline tools, streamline access and and education surrounding these issues, and then, like what you just said, with the with the Zoom meeting that you that you attended, um, that was kind of a, a training meeting that we hold when there's going to be a, I believe that was an Arizona Fish and Game Commission meeting, right? That was mm-hmm. that was going to come up and they were going to ad- address some issues. And it's, it's open for public comment and hunters can always go there and get involved, but generally not many of them do. So that's mm-hmm. one of the other problems that we, that we saw. So we developed a fairly easy process to say, hey, here's this meeting, here's what we're going to talk about, but join us on this Zoom meeting and we're going to go through it and answer all of your questions and make you feel comfortable. So you can come to this meeting with your fellow hunters and voice your opinions because I would say intelligent opinions. Um, and that, that's what impressed me about that meeting is it was all very well-spoken, well thought out, thoughtful and intelligent. So, and a lot of that comes from, certainly our passion, John and I's passion, but Mm -hmm. we try to involve the experts who know, you know, uh, the biologists or, or, um, a a lobbyist, if there is in a state who knows what this process is. And we go to them and say, Hey, you always tell us hunters don't get involved. Cause I've heard this for a long time. Hunters do not get involved in these issues. All right. Well, what if I told you we can get hunters involved, but what can you give us can, can you tell us, you know, what we need to know and, and what they need to know and how to address the commission members or whoever it is that we're going to be attending. So we're just answer all those questions for you. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a technology platform, um, to get hunters involved in, um, in any way, shape or form where the issue is either taking away a type of hunting or, you know, from you. Or if it's being on the offensive and proposing um, better hunter, better hunting regulations um, for your for your state or for your country or whatever. So I think that I don't know. Did that answer awesome. your question? Yeah, that, that did answer my question. Right. I appreciate it. Now, you guys, uh, it's you're still a relatively new organization, uh, correct? And yeah. so, what what inspired all this, and and how long have you been around? Well. Um... Basically, almost two years ago, I guess, there was a bill proposed in, in – this is what actually brought us to how We had been kind of working on stuff prior to this, but not thinking of being an organization. But uh, there was a bill proposed to eliminate uh, bear hunting in California. And uh, Charles had contacted me, and he's like, hey, they got this bill over here. What, are we, what can we do about it? Um, I just told Charles, I'm like, Hey, let's do a change.org. You should start it. And I know a lot of people, you know, a lot of people let's use our social media. Let's use our outlets. Let's push it out. And one thing led to another that in five days, I believe we got like 27,000 signatures on this change.org petition. And, uh, the sponsoring Senator basically withdrew and the bill died. And we're like, wow, this is, this is really powerful. Um, you know, we, we need to start a change.org for the hunting community. 
because change.org is not necessarily a pro hunting deal. And another thing we realized is that that change.org petition, um, we received like $18,000 in donations to promote that that money all goes to change.org. It doesn't go like, well, if we could do stuff like this and we could take this money that people are obviously very passionate about it, if they're donating money and they wanted to get involved and it was a very easy process with, we need to do something like this and utilize it. And that's when we started thinking about Jayhawk and Charles started going all uh, evil mastermind. And, uh, and and coming up with uh, with ideas of how to do this, and what ended up happening is I I took it upon me to uh, try to build a website because I've done a bunch of this stuff in the hunting industry with with a and it just sucked. <laughs> Quite frankly, it was terrible. Uh, it didn't work properly. And uh, right about the time that COVID hit, and and Charles uh, had a bunch of time on his hands, and he just went you know, crazy with it, dove into it head first and had all these meetings, found all the right, right technology and, um, and developed how for what it is today, uh, that the platform that it is today. So awesome. yeah, COVID was the greatest thing to happen. Cause I had, I do events and yeah. I had no events, um, right. for, for two and a half years or whatever it was. Oh. Um, so it gave me a lot of time. Yeah, it was basically an investigation into why that bear issue was so successful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was last year. It was January of 2021 when, 20. when that when. Oh, was started. it? Okay, yeah. A year and a half ago or whatever. And then, and I don't know. It seems like five years ago it does, to me right yeah. now. But. <laughs> um, and then there was, a, there was a bill in 2018 that I was involved in that actually came up again this year in California, a repeat of the same exact bill. And, um, there was, there was success with that on the grassroots level. And so it was kind of an investigation into, all right, how do action centers work with the other orgs and are they missing something and are they as effective as they can be? And, um, my conclusion was no, <laughs> they're, we can go further. Um, okay. they're, they're beneficial, but there's a lot more that can be done and, and you can reach a lot more people if, mm-hmm. if you set it up to do it that way. And, um, so it seemed like there was a big space that just hasn't been filled. And I think that's the, that's the space that we're filling. So you might not know it and it, sort of takes a lot of explanation um but there's a very very big difference between how how our platform works and literally anybody else's platform yeah um because i've interviewed all of their all the software companies that they use i know exactly how everything works um so there's a huge difference um that you don't see because you for us we just want to make it really easy for you um Mm -hmm. but you might see it when you start getting responses back and you start seeing a bit more success and a bit more traction um there's a reason for that so interesting awesome well let's move into some of the stuff you guys work on 
obviously the, the we, we you are an organization that advocates for hunters and anglers and their rights and their access and um but that's not all you do uh i've noticed recently you've been working on a, an issue that's a, a real pet peeve of my own and that's feral horses um can you talk a little bit about that and uh and your approach there yeah um perfect timing yeah so um it was after I had it. I always forget the names because there's there's a we have partnerships with a lot of different states. Mm-hmm. But did what's what's the the hunting coalition in Arizona called? Oh, Arizona Sportsmen for Wildlife Conservation. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So I did a presentate a, a presentation over Zoom for for that entire group, I believe, um, and explain to them what our, this was after the meeting and after the, the, the commission meeting that you were referring to. Mm -hmm. And there were people that were just impressed by it. So, um, what's his name, John? Who's the, uh, who's the lobby? Yeah. Jim. So Jim reached out to me, Jim Almack is his last name, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. Can you give a presentation? I think it's all mock. I believe. It's like, can you give a presentation? to our group sure absolutely so i did that and it was awesome like you know i answered a bunch of questions and stuff and you know people had some people that had doubts you know they just wanted to get some things cleared up so immediately after that um i was contacted to um to create an action on the feral horse issue Mm -hmm. um which was really interesting because the content and the biggest partnership really was coming from the CBD, the center for biological diversity. Right. And right. when I saw that acronym on there, I called up, it was John Colazar who was, who was sending yep. me this info. And I was like, is this the CBD, like the center for biological diversity? He goes, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Right. And he ends up, he's, he's good friends yeah. with the president. So did you, just if I can pause you there to paint a picture for for listeners, uh, Center for Biological Diversity is uh, yeah, I don't want to say a wildlife group. They're an environmental organization, um, and they're they're pretty powerful. They do they do a lot of work. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, though, a lot of the times they while they don't label themselves as an anti hunting group, um, they do come out on the side of anti hunting issues relatively often, especially when it comes to predator hunting. So that, that's why this is a bit of a, well, honestly, I think it's awesome. I, I love to see, you know, the, the quote, uh, unquote, green and brown groups find common ground on things. So uh, to see that happening on this feral horse issue is, is exciting for me. I thought it was a great opportunity. They're involved because the CBD is, is all about protecting habitat. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. And the, the feral horses destroy a lot of habitat. Oh yeah, like a New Mexican jumping mouse and different frogs yeah. and snakes and whatnot. Powerful wildlife. We just did a podcast specifically on this um, for those who want to find out like more about that exact. Yeah. Where would issue. folks find that? Um, it, it, on anywhere you could consume podcasts. It's it's the Howlful Wildlife Podcast. Howlcast. It's on Got our it. website also. It just it is Howlcast button. Um. So. So that that action was pretty immediate after that meeting, and um, it got a lot of traction. I know that the uh, 
Ah, oh, man, I'm going to have to, I can't, I can't say names, I don't think, because there was some, I don't know, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But the Forest Service has always heard from, these aren't anti-hunters, because this is, this is a different issue, this isn't a hunting mm-hmm. issue, but for the pro-horse advocates, I don't, I don't know what you want to, I don't know how we should, how we should term it, because I'm not anti-horse, but the pro leaving the horses, destroying the habitat, whatever you want to call it, those people. Yeah. They yep. are, There's a bunch they, of them, they're too, and they're very, very loud. passionate. Yeah, very passionate, mm-hmm. very loud. They contact the Forest Service and, and, and whomever else. Our action within a week matched and then exceeded their outreach. And um, so that was really impressive, and I know for a fact like that hadn't been done before. Right. That's awesome. Um, that's what I was, that's what I was told. Yeah. So anyway, today, like literally, I, I was just telling John this before we started this podcast. Like I pushed connect to the podcast. I got a, an email, um, over the past two days, they've removed now 18 feral horses from, Great. from that place. And, um, they are now in the process for vet work, cleanup, and then sale. And um, so that went through, and that was done awesome. despite the yeah. despite the advocates um, trying to stop that. Um, I think they didn't even know that it happened. Yeah, it just yeah, they they've moved quickly on on these feral horse management yeah. uh, plans in the past, uh, and I think they have to. Yeah. Uh, it, it's an unfortunate situation. It's a very serious situation. These, these horses are extremely detrimental um, on the ecosystem. Um, they'll destroy water sources. They'll, they'll keep wildlife from those sources. Uh, and, and it's unfortunate because these folks, they care about horses. They think they're beautiful. And they are beautiful animals. I like horses too. I'd love to have a couple someday. But that is not the, their place. They, they don't belong in, in our ecosystems. You know, they, they are not a native North American animal. And yes, people are going to argue that back in the Pleistine, there were horses. But <laughs> that is a different story altogether and a different place. Um, these animals don't belong here. And they're, they're extremely detrimental on the, on the ecosystem. And they need to be taken care of one way or the other. Um, but, you know, if I can segue there. Like I said, these these feral horse advocates they're um they're they're not bad people. They're misguided people, um, and sometimes I you well I shouldn't say sometimes all the time. Uh, I, I feel that way about the anti hunting community. I don't see these people as bad people. I see these people these people that care about wildlife, and and I care about wildlife too. So we have a lot in common. Unfortunately, though, I think they're misguided regarding, you know, what hunting is, what humans are, and, and what our place is here in the landscape. Not only that, I feel like they're, they're I, I tried to put it like this. If we had a pie chart, right, um, a sliver of that pie chart are going to be people who care about and advocate for wildlife just because, just because they like it and they want it there. And by all means, more power to them. I think that's fantastic. The rest of that pie chart is the general populace. The general populace needs a tangible connection to wildlife 
in order to care about it. So, you know, me growing up back in Missouri, every November, you know, there'd be half the population driving around in blaze orange, you know, those folks, they're not in that sliver. Um, They need that tangible connection in order to be advocates for wildlife and wild places. Um, You know, they're, they're teaching their children and their grandchildren to have those relationships too. So, you know, having these, uh, the wildlife as a consumptive resource and, and building those tangible connections is, is absolutely imperative to, to keep in wildlife and wild places around in my opinion anyway. So, you know, the the reason for all that is I'd like to hear you guys' take on, you know, I don't I don't want to call them the enemy. Um, that's not what I mean. But the folks that, that we're fighting against here, the folks that you are fighting against, uh, what what is your take on all that? If, if I may, uh, basically what I didn't go over in my bio is um, I actually have a master's degree in rangeland management and ecology, and I have a professional certificate in forestry and uh deer steward. So I have enough knowledge to be dangerous, I guess. Um, So when I look at things, and I mentioned this earlier, I look at things like holistically and what we see a lot from uh, the anti-hunting community is the preservation mentality. We want to preserve this. And where that fails is the fact that they don't take into account how many people there are on the earth, on the in the world now you know um if you you, were, you said you were part of that meeting i i part of my speech when i got up to speak at the um arizona game and fish commission meeting was that you know you can't you can't expect wildlife to self-manage. You can't sit back um, because we're part of it. We're not. We're not aliens to this planet. We are. Mm-hmm. We're. We're part of the system. We. We were at one time, and really, we still are. But because we have intellect and because we have technology and so on and so forth, we're not considered the apex predator anymore. But At some point we were, you know, consider Mm -hmm. that the reality of it is we still are. And because we're the intellectual beings of this planet, it's on us to, uh, to conserve, to manage all our resources, whether that's habitat, wildlife, whatever we we're the only ones capable of doing that. And hunting is such a huge part of that piece. So, so it's such a huge part of that puzzle um, that if you were to eliminate it, again, going back to what we were saying earlier, that and that anti-hunting mentality is actually anti-wildlife. Like if you were to succeed and eliminate what we're doing as sportsmen, ultimately that would be very detrimental to wildlife and in today's day and age with the fact that human beings touch everything our our fingers on our footprint is on everything um i don't see professionally or or just 
uh, anecdotally from being a, a sportsman, I don't think that wildlife would be able to self-regulate the way they believe it would. Mm-hmm. It's not going to go back to where it was a million years ago because it's impossible to do that. Right. Now there's 8 billion right. people in the world, you know, and we have roads everywhere and we have, you know, everything is touched by us. So yeah. I don't, I feel that we as a community do the most for, and, and I think feel like everybody that loves wildlife should have a conservation mentality versus a preservation mentality because it's the best um, system, the best tools, the best overall management practices to having balance. And mm-hmm. so hopefully that didn't go around in too many circles. <laughs> no, no, it's clear. Um, and, and I agree. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think hunters and anglers have done more for wildlife um, than, than any other group out there. And that that's not to diminish those other groups. I personally, I, I'm a fan of any group out there working for wildlife and wild places. Preservationists are not. But I, I do think you're right. I, I do think, you know, hunting and angling um, is is the best management tool we have for wildlife. And I would say that the last hundred years um, is is outstanding evidence for for that claim. You know, we, we are we're living in the good old days of wildlife right now, um, you know, hunting and angling. Uh, sorry about all the dog noises back there. No problem. Um, you know, 100 years ago. Uh, a lot of these animals were on, are on the verge of extinction, um, and it's it was well regulated hunting and angling, giving people access to these animals in, in a regulated way that, that built that 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 advocacy or that that public support for wildlife, um, and that that's why we have what we have today. And and I don't think that should ever be glossed over by anyone. Um, Hell, I, I think it should be part of our curriculum in public school. It's, oh, it's such a big deal. But. Absolutely, yeah, and, and I, I think it's really important that we that I that I state this. Like, I know Charles feels the same way. Um, we, if there was a, a a bill to, you know, uh, let's say regulate or not regulate or eliminate deer hunting in a specific state because the numbers were so low that there wasn't a huntable population. Mm -hmm. That's something that we would support because we believe in the North American model of conservation. We're, we are hunters very much. So Charles and I hunt a lot. Um, You know, if our walls behind us, don't say that, but it, you know, it's, um, but we also love wildlife and we want to mm-hmm. protect the system and protect and have, make sure that there's, there's wildlife on the landscape and, and, and animals on the mountain and so on and so forth. I, so we want it to be clear that we are very much wildlife advocates as well as sportsmen, you know, right. Like right. that's a, a message we want people to understand that, I think, yeah. I think like the whole the whole debate on both sides, like we get into the weeds about all these details, but what it comes down to, like the crux of the situation is, does man play a role in the management of wildlife? 
or does man not and step away and, and wildlife manages itself? And it's, it's an, it's an interesting idea to me that people think that we are somehow removed from that. Like what John was just saying, you know, like we, we've been a part of this world. We didn't come from another world. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're, we didn't come here um, one day to a world that's just full of wildlife. And then we're like, you know, not a part of this. We are a part of the system here. And especially, you know, depending on what you believe in, if you believe in evolution, then we are an animal as well. <laughs> right. So, um, but it's clear we have intellect and we can negatively affect wildlife or we can positively affect wildlife, you know? And, um, when we use data to, to, to as, as research on, on how, you know, wildlife populations are affected and the, the push and pull between predators and ungulates and all of that, um, then we can have a successful system. And like you just said, that's been proven over the last hundred years when those systems were put in place. Um, so that's what it always comes down to is there's, there's people, I, I think anti-hunters just believe that animals should be left alone to their own devices and, and pro hunters, some, and I'll be honest, some of them don't think this at all. They're just hunting. They're not actually thinking about it. They're not actually thinking about the process yeah. and what it means. And I'm, I'm, uh, that was certainly me growing up for sure. I didn't think about the management role that I'm playing. <laughs> yeah, nobody, I mean? did. <laughs> yeah, nobody, nobody does, you know? Um, so, but to, but also if we got to the point where I don't want to get to the point where deer populations are so low that we would have to stop that because that, you know, before all that is probably an issue where that, that before all that is probably an issue where we're facing, um, the banning of predator hunting. And if we mm -hmm. ban predator hunting, we ban bear hunting, we ban lion hunting, we ban bobcat hunting, coyote hunting and all that. Um, they might be right that you're saving a few lions or a few predators in the near future, mm -hmm. but they're not going to self-manage themselves. They're going to wipe out. Let's look to Washington. Let's look at the blue mountain elk herd there where, um, basically all the calves that were GPS collared, 125 of them, they're all dead. And most of that, the, the vast majority of that was due to predation and, um, mountain lions were of the predators were the most responsible for that, but there's bear in there and, and wolves and, and, and everything else. So let's just say those mountain lions, those predators, they all just keep killing those elk and killing those elk and killing those elk. Are they going to get to the point where they're like, eh, we've killed too many elk. We need the, you know, we need to move somewhere else or whatever. No, they don't think that way. Mm -hmm. All the elk are just going to be dead. And they're going to move on to another species or, you know, there's other species that are living there as well. But that entire region might um, have an ungulate population that is just not sustainable anymore at all. And then you have an overpopulation of predators. Now, what are they going to eat? 
they're going to have to move on to something. They're going to have to move into new areas. They're going to get diseases. They're going to get starved. They're going to starve themselves. There's going to be way more depredation um, from, from, from human contact because they're going to move in closer to getting pets and blah, 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 blah. So, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to get to that point. Right. Um, and, and that's the, that's the bridge we have to cross. Well, that's what we have to get anti-hunters to see is like, I understand your, your passion. I understand the reason you want to do this because you feel like you're saving a particular animal in this case, but we need to go up to 10,000 feet here and look at the full picture of what's going on. If you do not manage mountain lions whatsoever, yeah. that's what you're advocating for. So, yeah, <clears throat> cause it's interesting. Like you care about the mountain lion, but where is your care for elk? And why is it different? They're well, both yeah, living they're creatures. Like, they're both living creatures. Themselves. Like you just put, you just proved, you just said, Charles, you know, Eventually, the mountain lions are going to be the ones suffering too because yeah. their their food source is gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, well, they're, they're charismatic, and I think that's what it comes down to. People, we have cats and dogs in our homes. I, Charles, I see your dog. My dog's been up here in my lap and in my face. Um, so you know, we tend to gravitate towards these animals. But I'd I'd like to point out two things, if I may. Um, and one might seem obvious, but but I want to give that big picture scenario. Uh, predator and prey populations have evolved together. Um, they ebb and flow, and they balance each other out. That's in a natural landscape. Um, we probably do have some spaces uh, left, like greater Yellowstone ecosystem, um, you know, uh, scapegoat and Bob Marshall area. And I'm just pulling this out. I don't have any evidence to back this up right now. But, but what I'm saying is, as far as management of both predator and prey populations, we don't have that large scale landscape where, where these um you know, natural relationships can can unfold the way they always did. We're we're dealing with a very fragmented landscape now. Um, you know, with urban centers all over, massive highways. You know, fragmenting these uh, populations into islands. So it is a very much a different picture. So that argument of of letting these things just go and manage themselves, I get it. I get where it's coming from, but it's not realistic in today's landscape, unfortunately. So that's my one point. But and please go ahead, Charles. Well, there's like. there's predators that used to exist that don't exist anymore that used to that used to also help and assist in, in the management of, of of a lot of animals that just aren't there anymore. Um, I think that was. Didn't Jonathan talk about that in in the podcast, yep. John? Yeah. Exactly. So there's, there's no there's no predators that are taking down horses, right? For right. Reasons. And they used and, to exist, and, and they don't. You know, saber toothed yeah. cat. I would imagine. And if you really want to dive into that situation, uh, Doctor Valerius Geist, if you listen to his um, Predator Pit, uh, it's it's hypothesis. Yeah, very long about that. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and very. Yeah, you know, technical, but based on what you were just saying, Michael, about having, you know, there are some areas, he's looking at areas like up in the Yukon and Mm -hmm. places where really still not touched by man, but because 
there's some logging roads and because there's some this or, you know, there was some changes or we were part of the system at some point uh, hunting a specific species and now we're not, things get thrown off balance that the idea of, like you were saying, the idea of being able to self-regulate is not really in that. It's not really a, a reality. And that's kind of what I was getting at earlier. There's we're, we're, our hand, our footprint is on too many things. Uh, and we really can't uh, allow them to self-regulate because yeah. it's, there's going to be this up and down, up and down, up and down. And maybe six generations from now, they might find some balance, mm-hmm. but from now till then, it's not. Yeah, bad. it's it's going to have extreme uh, consequences and circumstances. Right. Um, you know that that that's a very nuanced question. You know, there's there's relationships from wolves and moose down to coyotes and cottontails. Um, you know, and and a plethora of different levels in between there. So I think it's important that we don't generalize too much. And, and just, I just want to point that out to folks that, that, you know, we, we do realize this is a nuanced situation we're talking about uh, more specific situations. Um, the, the other point that I would like to make is one, I love lions. I love lions on the landscape. The first lion I ever got to see, I was beyond myself thrilled. With that said, these are not an animal that most folks just shoot and leave lay. These are delicious animals. They're very good to eat. Um, You know, we hold a, uh, as the Arizona Wildlife Federation, we hold an event down on the Capitol lawn in Phoenix called Camo at the Capitol. We do that once a year. And that's to, you know, basically show our our legislators and decision makers that, you know, we're unified and and we care about wildlife. We care about um, access and hunting and angling. And part of what we do there is we will serve up um, a bunch of wild game dishes to our legislatures and passerbyers. Um, And this year, uh, thanks to the Desert Bighorn Sheep Society um, and then Josh Kushner of Dialed and Hunter, we had both lion and bear available to serve to our legislators. So, you know, next time this fight comes up down at the legislature, we can be like, hey, you know, you guys got to eat this stuff. You know how good it is. This isn't just a trophy hunt. So I think it's important to point out that this isn't just always, you know, blatant killing. You know, these are animals that we consume and are quite good. It's really wild how I'm just having this thought right now. So probably not going to be very polished at all. You can probably fill in the blanks, but it's really wild how basically, let's just say starting in the 60s and 70s, these movements started to, you know, stop grizzly bear hunting and all that. Mm -hmm. And they were kind of connected to environmental pushes, which is interesting because a lot of the environmental pushes are great. But we as hunters just step, we were never involved, you know. Um, But my overall point here is that, so let's just take a small section of human history that we know of. 50 years and all of a sudden man doesn't play a role in hunting. And Mm -hmm. now we can step back to be fair. Let's go back 150 years ago when there was a commodity put on, put on animals. Okay. That happened for a small section of time and it was 
devastating. Disastrous. Disastrous. But that's a very small, minute portion of human history. Now, Mm -hmm. that was what we learned from. Everything else, for the most part, it behooved you. (laughs) Humans were very um, in touch and connected with the wildlife that were around them. It was responsible for the development of their brains, for their mm-hmm. own survival, for their for their 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 livelihoods, for their shelter. So it was really important to only take what you needed. Conservation has always been a thing. It's like yeah. it's it's a part of our DNA that demands survival. Right? Because right. if you wipe out all the animals and that was your food and, and, you know, and if we weren't even at the point where we were growing vegetables or whatnot, or you didn't live in an area where you could grow vegetables, you better believe that you were a conservationist. You might not have termed it that way, right? But now all of a sudden, that just automatically goes away and man doesn't have his hand in, in, in wildlife and, and conservation isn't isn't a thing that man should be involved in it should be preservation it's mm-hmm. it's odd i yeah. mean it really goes against it goes against every single person's it goes against human history yeah yeah your own history it goes against your own survival it's yeah. a it's a it's a strange um it's a strange idea and i and i think it's because the magnification like the 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 scope the microscope is just on you're basing your deci- anti hunters are basing their decisions based on a few minute portions of right. history. You know, yeah. look at look at the well, effects of this and how bad that was, and and now where the we have all these people and and things are changing or whatnot. But that doesn't change, um, the fact that animals have always been managed by humans to some extent. For for our own own our own survival and actually for the betterment of of wildlife themselves. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. just interesting. I was just thinking about that when you guys were I, talking. Yeah, about it's, beautiful, it's beautifully put. I, I think um, you know there's this like crazy disconnect, uh, even with just our food and and you know we as a society and I, I think really the escalation of it has happened since the you know, since the invention of social media, whatever, but is we're so like, cause we see this all the time too, where somebody will engage you on social media about, you know, shooting a deer or whatever. Oh, how could you blah, blah, blah. And then you go look at their Instagram page or whatever. And they're got selfies with them and their hamburgers uh, or their steak dinner or whatever. And so there's this like this, crazy like disconnect that food just appears in the grocery store that there isn't this even even like commercially you know like that the idea that something doesn't have to die for something to live you know a plant doesn't have to die for for a deer or 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 a uh, cow to live in a Mm -hmm. you know and and the whole circle this whole idea that's not uh, life begets life exactly yeah it's I, I think a lot of what we are faced with now is that same yeah. mentality and it goes very nicely along with what, what Charles was saying, you know, that they're so hyper-focused on that one small portion of time 
that hunting was or did affect. Yeah. Um, you know, wildlife had now, you know, we've surpassed that like in time and in, uh, what do you call it? In performance by mm-hmm. tenfold already. You know, that was such that the market hunting era was such a short, short time, um, way shorter than the conservation era has been. And yeah. look how much, you know, hunting has done for hunting and fishing has done for uh, wildlife. Yeah. So. Well, stepping back just a moment to the whole preservationist mentality, uh, first off, I, I want to say that there are places where that is the correct mentality when it comes to particularly rare species um, or particularly rare habitat where people tromping around in there can have a, a detrimental effect. That There is a, a place for that and it's an important place. Um, but I also want to say, you know, uh, first off, I understand the preservationist mentality because, I mean, look, look at what we've lost. You know, we, we have no Great Plains anymore. We have corn and soybeans and wheat. Um, but you know, if you, if you can have a, a chunk of native prairie, um, and you lock that up and don't allow access to it, yeah, there's going to be people that are going to care and work for it. If you open that up to access where folks can get out there, explore, enjoy, hunt some native birds, you're going to have an army of people working to preserve that piece of land. So, you know, there, there, there is a, there's a very strong argument um, to to conservation, you know, and, and like I said, there is a place for, for preservation, but the, the big picture, the big picture is conservation. And if we want to keep this stuff around, I, I think that's the right way forward. Yeah, 100%. You place the right value on it and um, you're going to get more work done. Yeah. Because that's just, that's just the way humans work you know i mean we can we can talk about utopian things oh yeah we wish for this we wish for that well that's great but right what are you willing to do for it yeah humans (laughs) humans are we work on incentives and and i Mm -hmm. and i think the the way that the north american model has been has been developed um i mean it's obviously it's it's wildly successful it might it's not perfect but nothing is perfect but it's the it's certainly the envy of the world, yeah. You know, and and, rightfully um, so. And we can see these issues happening that in Africa, which is something that's just so hard for us to understand. I mean, I was just having a conversation with someone. Can can you imagine living in a hut and you got to bring your cow into the hut where you sleep because if a lion comes by and kills that cow, you might die. Like that's your. <laughs> You're yeah. relying on that animal so much. We can't possibly relate to 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 anything like that. And you know the the value that's placed on the animals in Africa and what that does for the community and that decides whether you're a poacher or not. Because you got to make money, you got to survive. Yeah. You know, I understand that too. I understand the poacher. He's surviving. You know, at least for some of them. You know, I, I don't know if that's the the general broad stroke i'm kind of just doing that right now but yeah it's just interesting conversations that that happen all over the world but um yeah it's complicated stuff too man well you know we've talked about the issues uh we've talked about the anti-hunting community and and you know what i i really don't like the term anti-hunting because i think it comes across as negative and it is a negative thing in in my my 
sphere here, but I don't have a better a better word right now, so I'm going with it. Um, you know, we've talked about uh, the issues we see with with that mentality, but let's uh, just to cap this whole conversation off. Let's let's talk about the hunter and what their responsibility is here in order to, you know, keep this thing that we all care so much about going. You have any thoughts there? I think hunters should be activists. Um, mm-hmm. I think that we need to be actually. There's there's so back to what I was saying in the '60s or '70s when you know to to stop grizzly bear hunting and it grew into lions and grew into all that. Um, hunters sat back and just it's like they were just like behind a curtain and nobody was mm-hmm. looking in and um, and. Uh, we've enjoyed being behind that curtain, you know, and, and I, and I think most people who hunt, they're not, not all, but you're going to find a lot of the same sort of conservative approach to to even politics and your lifestyle and whatnot, but that's a very independent way of thinking. And it's like, I don't want to get involved in your business kind of a, kind Mm -hmm. of a thing. And I understand that. However, um, whether it's needed or not, you know, whether it's understandable or not, there are people who are getting into our business. And once you realize that, you better get involved because the things you love, the, the rights you might think that you have, um, your, your lifestyle, that's not set in stone. That's not concrete. I agree it's the way it should be, but I'm talking about the way things are, not the way things should be, you know, the fantasy worlds are fantastic, but there's a reality. And if you do not get involved, you will lose what it is that you love to do. And in this case, we're talking about hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, That will be lost because whoever the other side is, the people that it's fighting this, they're way louder than us. They're way more connected and they've been doing this and building their organizations to to getting people involved on the mainstream level. You know, they're not afraid to reach out. PETA is not afraid to reach out and have a Super Bowl commercial. Even though yeah. most people think PETA is a fringe group. Yeah. They still do. Most yeah. mainstream <clears throat> people think they're, they're a fringe group. But they're not afraid to reach out and get that 1%, 2% on every, you know, of, of somebody they didn't have before. And show them a message, show them, you know, something bad about hunting or, or whatnot. And then to that person who just saw that, who's now, you know, on PETA's side, that's the only story they've ever been told. Right. We as hunters in our industry, we do not reach out beyond the choir ever. Mm-hmm. We're just like in church all the time. Yeah. Amen. I agree. All right. Well, where's our outreach? Like, where's our evangelism? Right. Right. Yeah. Why aren't we bringing this, this people is where in? I was hoping you would go with this. Yeah. Um, I do not understand why that hasn't happened. And, 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 and for me, what I've tried to emulate with just the thought process of, of how for wildlife, because if I felt like somebody else was already doing this, if, if the other orgs were, were on point here, then there'd be no pur- purpose of, of how for wildlife. Um, mm-hmm. But this is what I'm getting at. Like, this is what where I'd like Hal for Wildlife to go is to reach out, 
to that mainstream and and get and show them a different story and give them something intelligent to think about. So now they have two stories to compare. You're not going to win every battle, but you're certainly you're never going to win any battle if you never even show up to the fight. Yeah, they're just going to be like, well, this is ours now. Uh We're going to co-opt this message now. We're we're going to we're going to term we're going to use the words trophy hunting and define what that is. And that's the only definition you're ever going to see. If we're not out there refuting that or giving intelligent people something else to think about, then what is it exactly that we're doing? You know, it it doesn't make any sense. You know, like we're going to have all this stuff and all these backpacks and brands and all, and it's going to be meaningless when hunting goes away. Yeah. You know, and it will happen. I mean, Mm -hmm. look at Washington state right now, look at Washington state and we're so far behind the ball there. That place is in trouble. I mean, you know, it started just, just in the last six months, the conversation has changed from, well, we just want to reconsider spring bear to maybe now we should just do away with bear hunting completely across the yeah. board. And you already can't hunt, you know, they're, they've already done away with all kinds of predator hunting there. And now it's just getting further and further and further. And the comments that are coming out of some of the commission members there, um, it's absolutely scary. And the and yeah. the people who are behind these pushes, if they win there, they will be in your state next and trying the exact same thing. And I know in Arizona, it's mostly a fairly pro-hunting state, but you've seen it. They're trying yep. to poke holes yep. in that. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, that might look a little different, a lot differently to the negative if we continue our lack of engagement and lack of involvement and just preaching to the choir all the time. Gotcha. And honestly, I don't think, you know, going off of what Charles just said, since the inception of social media, we, we can't be in the shadows anymore. I remember when I took my first uh, Hunter's Ed back when I was nine years old in New York, one of the things they taught us were like, you know, make sure you don't, you know, uh, engage people or kind of like almost, almost like teaching you to be sneaky about what you were doing to almost like feel ashamed that not necessarily feel ashamed, but like be behind the scenes about being a hunter. But now, and, and back then when, you know, you shot a deer, you took your, your deer in your truck and you went to the city or the town center or whatever. And you showed a couple of guys at the coffee shop, your deer or whatever, like now that coffee shop is Facebook and Instagram. And now instead of three, four guys seeing it, there's thousands and possibly even millions mm-hmm. of people that see that, that don't have a, they don't have the backstory. All they have is this picture of you with your deer or you with an elk or whatever the case may be. And yes, you could write really good, um, you know, comment or whatever with it or caption with it to tell the story. And I think that's very important. I think everybody that does that really should be telling the story and showing the meat and showing everything that goes into it. Don't just give them the opportunity to say, Oh, look at this guy standing with his, you know, rack or whatever. Um, but like, it's so in your face and you, you, we can't be quiet. We have to, be out there actively uh, 
directing, and I don't want to use the word narrative because that sounds like we're trying to pull the wool over somebody's eye. We have to Mm -hmm. be out there speaking the truth. We have to be out there um, educating the non-hunting public. We have to be out there uh, telling the messages, telling the stories that are behind why you do this, uh, showing the, the meat and showing the process that goes into it so that the non-hunting public, the majority that's not on either side of the fence, doesn't have the ability to uh, derive a negative or to be swayed by the propaganda that is pushed out by, yeah. you know, unfortunately, the anti-hunting community. Um, you know, we're faced with something in Colorado where if, and unfortunately, there's a lot in other states too where the it could become a legislative legislative issue where they can put a anti-hunting measure on the ballot and they're going to, they are in position right now. And I say they like Houston of America, Houston humane society of the United States. Um, they're in position to hit people with their message, share their messaging through mainstream media. And we're not in position to do that as a hunting community. Right. So you do that in a place like Denver or Boulder where you have a more progressive thinking population that may never have been exposed to hunting, don't understand it. You show them some cute and fuzzy bears and some cuddly lions and you, you know, paint this picture of the evil hunter and so on and so forth. And there you go. Now that, that type of hunting goes gets lost and who's going to suffer. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, I'll going to suffer. Yeah. Know? So I've, uh, I've told this story on several podcasts, so I'm sure folks are getting sick of hearing it, but I, I think it's poignant. Um, and that is that, uh, my wife, our two kids, dog and I have in the, over the, we've moved We're we're up in the mountains near Flagstaff now, but, uh, we spent the last 10 years in the, most progressive neighborhood, and, I, and I'm not using progressive in a derogatory way, but the most progressive neighborhood in the most progressive city in Arizona. And I could cut up bears in my backyard and and, and smoke pieces of them or hang a javelina from the tree and cut it up and make javelina nuggets out of backstrap for the neighbor kids. Um and I would say that more of my neighbors were probably vegans than weren't. But because of the way I approached it and because of the way I talked about it, everybody in that neighborhood was absolutely on board with what and how I did things. Um, they, they were they were pro my hunting. So when I talk about hunter's responsibility, um, I'm kind of leaning in that direction. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a guy who's got an Instagram and Facebook page full of dead things. But I try to be thoughtful about how I show it, and I try to tell the whole story. I try to be food forward. I love antlers. Don't get me wrong. And I post pictures of antlers. But I try to be food forward. I try to tell the whole story. Um, and if it can work for me in the most progressive neighborhood, in the most progressive town in, in our state, it can work for anybody. Um, yeah, just be thoughtful. You know, Think about it, what you do. Think us. about how it's portrayed. It's mm-hmm. on us to you know, start 
really uh, putting that message out there. I know we we kind of put together a little initiative where we were uh, sharing reels on um, on Instagram that uh, spoke that message. We also were showing uh, a lot of the food because it was actually a wonderful thing we were part of in, in uh, California when we had a uh, fish and game commission, the game commissioner actually said it, it was, it was fantastic. The uh, representative from Houston was there talking about how, um, you know, they don't, if you take a picture of whatever you shot, then it's automatically you're a trophy hunter as part of their definition of what a trophy hunter is, is taking a photo. And, and she came out and she's like, well, just cause you take, a photo doesn't mean you don't eat the meat. And it was, it was beautiful. It's a beautiful soundbite. And it's also beautiful to see that, um, that people understand that, you know, that it's not just because you you do this doesn't mean you're this, you know, like. It, Most people are curious. And if you give them, I mean, I, I lived in the city of San Francisco for, for quite a while. Um, probably not your first thought is that it's it's pro hunting and all that um but i've met a lot of people i've i've never had any negative interactions with people that i just know and and or that i've met through you know my wife's work or whatever and she's always like oh yeah we um you know because my wife is 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 a vegetarian she didn't eat meat at all until um i don't know 2012 or 13 somewhere around there and now she only eats wild game if she eats meat. So the conversation comes up a lot. And uh, yeah, Charles, he hunts and all that. And they're like, oh, really? And there's just, people are naturally curious and that's fine. And when they're, when they see me and I'm not the person they have in their head, their perception, whatever that is of whatever they've been giving, given of what, a, of what a hunter is. Neck, yeah. <laughs> They get really curious, and and then I'm like, yeah, do you want some meat? Oh yeah, and I eat bear. You eat bear? Yeah, it's actually my favorite wild game to it's eat. My family's it's, favorite meat. Yeah. It's the best tasting. You know, a well fed bear is is is. I think it blows venison out of the water. Might have some competition with elk, maybe. I don't know though, but you know, it, it's just outreach again. You know, and and there's a lot of people doing a great job with it. I I think. I think um, the conversations that like that Joe Rogan has is because he's mainstream. Mm-hmm. It's been mostly pretty stinking beneficial. It's gotten a lot of people very curious and there's a lot yeah. of people who are now into bow hunting and hunting and that way of life who honestly, I, I got to owe it to, to his platform. Yeah. Um, Cause he has that platform. The and, foodie uh, movement is another one that that's greatly benefited. Absolutely. A lot of the chefs that are, are showing. Yeah. That's yeah. excellent. Um, it's all out say, there for us to for us ahead. to get regain control, regain I get yeah, regain control. Um it's all out there. It's just we got to bring this all together and 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 just be loud and and be on point. I well, 100% think we can win. You this. guys are doing a good job of it. Um and I mean that. Um I I really like your approach. I like your thoughtful style. Um you know, I think uh fighting back against the anti-hunting hunting movement 
can be done wrong and it can cause more Absolutely. more harm to to us in this way of life that we value so much than it than it does good um i think you guys are doing it right uh that that's just my opinion but uh you know i guess i'll also say if there's anything the arizona wildlife federation can do to support you guys um don't don't ever hesitate to ask i'd love to have you guys down at camo at the capitol next year um and, you know, I guess well, we've been going well over well over an hour now, so we're proud to wrap this up. But how uh, you want to talk about how folks can get involved with HAL? HALforWildlife.org. And we have an action center that anybody can take. You don't have to sign up for anything ever to take any of our actions or get involved in any of the actions at all. Um, but you can join. Which um, So that's kind of the first phase, and that just means we can email you and contact you, which is generally going to be about new actions or new issues that's, mm-hmm. that's happening. Um, and we also have membership levels, um, which are really awesome. Current, we're going to be adding to this, but we have one right now with, with Go Hunt. And basically, if you just buy a, um, a Go Hunt subscription through our platform, it's the exact same price that Go Hunt offers it. But they're mm-hmm. kind of rewarding us and rewarding you by saying, if you do it through Howl, we love what they're doing so much. We're going to give you extra benefits you can't find anywhere else. Awesome. And you'll get the $30 annual Howl for Wildlife membership, which gives you a bunch of discounts, um, generally 20% or more, to a ton of our partners. You'll get that along with it. So you're kind of just making your money go a lot further. Um, you're getting double for your money, essentially. Um and then Go Hunt takes that money that you spent with them and donates a huge portion of that back to Hal for Wildlife. Oh, that's um, great. There's going to be more of those with different companies really soon. That's sort of our our models being a little more creative. And, and we want the industry to be involved in getting people to be activists. Not just awesome. like, hey, like this post and do that. Like, we want to reward mm-hmm. you for activism. Um, so that's kind of the approach that we're taking, which is which is a little bit different as well. And of course, you can just donate to us, which you know, this is really expensive. We do not get paid for doing this, at least not yet, and it'll probably be a long, long time before we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm unashamed in saying. Yeah, we love your donations because it 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 honestly keeps this uh, keeps this going. This stuff's expensive. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it really is. Awesome. Well, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I think a lot of the subjects we talked about could be a full conversation on their own, and I think we just scratched yeah. the surface in a lot of areas. But any anything we left out before we jump off? Instagram is how how for wildlife how how underscore okay. org. Um, that's where you can keep up with that's kind of where a lot of the actions and what we're doing originates. So follow Mm -hmm. us on Instagram, subscribe to the new podcast, which is basically a podcast about the actions that we are developing. So it's just more education on, on, uh, on what, tell me that again. Cause I looked for it when you mentioned it the first time, and I got some other Howl podcast, but I, I didn't see yours. Do you have a specific? Yeah, name? If, you, if you type in Howlful Wildlife uh, okay. podcast, in you'll, it usually pops up. But it's it's called Howlcast. There is another Howlcast. It's like a high school. <laughs> it's like yeah. a high school mascot or something like that yeah. uh, podcast. Um, I did want to say something before we get off on it. Sure. You know, I've unlike Charles, he said he he hadn't met anybody that once you know. 
I, I've met several people that were uh, very anti-hunting, um, but it didn't take very much for me to. Sorry, I got screaming kids in the background. I'm sure <laughs> That's all right. Yeah, um, uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't take very much for you to be if you give them the right information to give mm-hmm. them something to think about, to give them something that will um, open their eyes. And I've been able to, uh, for lack of better terminology, convert many people, but just by having an intelligent, calm conversation. The last yeah. thing you want to do is like alienate them and, you know, be argumentative with them and be like, Oh, you're crazy. And you know, that kind of stuff. So it's very important for you to be very, uh, direct and very, um, what's the word I'm looking for specific, I guess, about what you say and how you say it to people. So you give them the right tools to understand that way you're not creating, uh, another enemy. You're, you know, you, you have somebody that's more sympathetic to what you do and how you do it. Cause, um, you know, I've, my wife had several friends that, you know, were very anti hunting and, Oh yeah. Couple yeah, I, I've made vegan dishes at wild game cookouts. Their chickens, you know. Yeah. So, you know, you just gotta you gotta be smart about it. And and the last thing you want to do is like, oh, honey, this is my rights, and you know, come across as the person that they're already trying to paint paint you as. You know, right. show them the good stuff. I understand that too, though. Yeah, I understand that too. I hate it that we have to do these extra things because me personally, I am really independent, and I'm like, hey, you know, this is whatever i won't get into that but it's again it's the reality of the situation it's the reality of the situation do you want to be effective or not and there's some ways that are effective and there's some ways that just aren't sure you know hey man that there's nothing nothing wrong with being thoughtful and and considering other people's point of views when when talking with them you know mm-hmm. so i think that's a great place to end on fellas uh, i think i think you i think you got the right approach um and you know I uh, personally thank you for doing this work. Uh, it's important. This is a, a lifestyle that I greatly value and I, I want it for my children. And I want to continue to see, you know, wildlife and wild places, uh, you know, for the rest of my days anyway. And uh, yeah, you guys, you guys are helping, helping see that to fruition. So I appreciate it. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for, thank having, you for having us on. Yeah. Was, thanks for being involved in the in the meetings too I, I i remember you on there when you said that i was like oh yeah you were on there that's awesome yeah, thank you yeah. thank you for being involved well thanks to you guys as well cool. right on take care yep well i hope that you enjoyed that conversation with hal for wildlife and i'm sure that you are as impressed as i am with these gentlemen and how they are, are going about this work uh they're doing this from a place of passion, a place of love for wildlife, uh, a place of love for this this lifestyle that we all value so much. So with that said, please consider throwing your support behind them, uh, either financially or sign up for their email alerts. And when they ask for help, please do it because it's important and they make it easy. So they do all the work for you. So there's no excuses there. With that, uh, until next time, please reach out to me at podcastazwildlife.org. Give me your comments, your suggestions, your criticisms. I'm happy to take them all. And I hope to see you at some of these conservation events coming up down the road. Until next time, we'll see you again in two weeks with a new show. And yeah, hope you're getting out in the field. Take care.